unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And welcome to this week's show once again after a week off. Good to be back at it. Coming up, our special guest today will be ESPN college football commentator Rennie Angolia. He, of course, uh, covers a lot of games for the Ford Letter Network. And will join us to talk about the college football season, the local team in UCF, the state teams in Florida, and more. That's coming up as Rennie stands by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a moment. So I present to you Exhibit A, and I say this often, you're probably tired of hearing me say it, the NFL is week-to-week business because never is anything a sure thing. We looked at this past weekend where the Dallas Cowboys almost upset the Pittsburgh Steelers, who managed to remain undefeated. And I also give you another interesting exhibit there, too. Garrett Gilbert, the fourth quarterback to start for the Cowboys this season. He is a perfect example of why I love spring football. Because Gilbert had only thrown six passes in the NFL since his uh, first run in 2014. Six passes. Against the Pittsburgh Steelers, he looked very poised. He did not try to do too much for the most part. Late in the game, a little bit difficult, but he, he, he played well. Gave the Cowboys a chance to win. And he looked solid back there. Unlike Ben DiNucci a week earlier, who just looked scared crapless. <laughs> no, no other way to say it. Hate to be mean. I think you can owe what Garrett Gilbert's performance was to getting meaningful snaps in five games of XFL 2.0 with our Orlando Apollos. He was the leading passer in the league when the league went down, when COVID struck. But spring football shows you that opportunity where things, you know, you get a chance to actually play and they have ex-NFL coaches in that league Showing these guys and getting them prepared to play. You know, our friend Colin Thompson making the Carolina Panthers path, uh, practice squad this year. Getting that extra work in in the XFL. So it gives guys the chance to, to keep their NFL dreams alive. Getting back now to the point of the week-to-week business after that little side venue trip. Jets and pa- Patriots. You know, Jets got up to a big lead. Now, granted, the Patriots aren't the world beaters they have normally been, but they had to come back to win that game. So, again, you just have to see, you know, Carolina, Kansas City. Now, Carolina is a pretty decent team, but there are no givens in the league. And especially later in the season, we see these little situations crop up where a poor team has their best day and maybe the better team has their worst day. Another note from the NFL, they are looking at uh, potentially using 4th and 15 to replace the onside kick. Roger Goodell wants to explore that further, where instead of doing an onside kick, the team wanting to try to retain possession would try a 4th and 15 from their 25-yard line. wonder what the percentages would be because we know the onside kick percentages have dwindled way down with all the rules changes and the trying to lack or defer concussions. But I wonder, you know, 4th and 15 is not a great chance 
most of the time. But is it better than where the onside kick is now? You hear the XFL was playing around with that. So we'll see if that comes to fruition. And it's Masters Week in November. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you're not listening to a March podcast. Honest to goodness, the Masters taking place in Augusta being rescheduled due to the pandemic. And this week we got the greatest golf shot ever. John Rahm at 16, skipping the ball across the water and having it go in for a hole in one. His second of the week, by the way. Not at the same hole, but that is pretty freaking amazing. But it'll be fun to have the Masters into our football menu. College game day will originate from Augusta. And CBS will alter their football broadcasts. Masters will go earlier in the day, which I liked when they did that a couple years ago. Or was it last year? It's been so long I can't remember because (laughs) we've lost all track of time this year. But uh, having that to start your days on the weekend be Pretty, pretty nice. It is my pleasure to welcome to the show ESPN College Football Analyst Rennie Angolia to the program. Rennie, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Well, let's uh, talk some college football as, uh, you know, we are now down the home stretch uh, to the football season, although it's the beginning for some conferences, uh, if you will. Um, So I guess the big news over the weekend was the Notre Dame uh, upset of Clemson. Of course, Clemson was without Trevor Lawrence. Um, The impact of that is Notre Dame gets into the top four. Uh, What is your overall assessment of that and how that has impacted the, the college football playoff potential? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it was a great game, which everyone wanted. And, and I think everyone knew going into that game, if it was a good game, and uh, which it was, that both of these teams would probably meet each other again in the conference championship. And, and you know, they would get a shot to, to get after one another once again. And so it's not an elimination game by any means whatsoever. So, yeah, you know, I think Notre Dame did what they needed to do. But, you know, I always tell people I give the advantage uh, in rematches to the team that lost. So, uh, well, we can watch out for Clemson if these two meet again. Yeah, that would be very, very interesting. Of course, right now in the top four, we have Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, and Clemson. The interesting team that's kind of the, uh, the, the under-the-radar team to me is Texas A&M. What are your thoughts on them? No, I, I did an interview a couple of weeks ago, and I said, watch out for Texas A&M. Listen, they lost to Alabama. I think we all agree Alabama's the best team in the, in the country right now. Um, and so now they kind of got everything ahead of them. You know, they're not – they don't have to worry about going uh, – making it to the SEC, champ, SEC championship because they're not going to make it on the West because they lost to Alabama. But they can just kind of run the table in front of them. Their offense is finally clicking, which I think is huge. And uh, Jimbo Fisher finally, you know – hearing all that noise, making so much money. I heard someone say the other day, if you add up uh, his salary, he makes, uh, if we do it by game, it's about $780,000 per game. So <laughs> I guess he's got some of those naysayers kind of off his back right now. But at 5-1, and one, they're looking pretty good. So they definitely have a chance as well. 
Yeah, n- another uh, team that I wanted to talk about as far as the pot- potential go is is the uh, the lead team in the American Athletic Conference, Cincinnati. They've been uh, uh, putting up some impressive wins over some high-powered offenses, and to me, they have a defense that is certainly an equalizer against a top Power 5 team. Uh, what do you think their chances are of making the playoff? Yeah, so I've covered Cincinnati a bunch the, the, the past couple of years, and uh, Coach Fickle, he's a good coach. Um, their defense is really good. Um, the interesting thing with them is, and let's, let's you know, face it, we all know that this system, the college football playoff system, is not set up um, for a group of five team to make it. I mean, we know that. We know what UCF has gone through the last couple of years, and and so the system's against them. The interesting thing this year is no group of five team has been as high this early as Cincinnati is. Now, they were seven. They had a blowout win. You thought, well, maybe they might move up a spot. Of course, they didn't. They jumped forward over them. And, and that's, it's understandable um, when you look, at, you look at the AP anyway. But seven is still within striking distance. Now, the irony is, uh, November 21st, they play at UCF. Well, the, the first CFC ranking comes out a few days later, November 24th, so UCF actually has a chance to spoil any hopes of Cincinnati making it uh, to the playoff. Yeah, and then, of course, uh, the other group of five team that's kind of lurking out there is BYU as well. Um, you know, the, and again, it, it, yes, we, as we all well know, the, the system is not in their favor, but it is interesting, you know, they, they at least had some openings, you know, with the delays of the Big Ten and the, and the Pac-12, and by and large, Cincinnati and BYU took advantage of that opportunity. Absolutely. I, I would say every group of five team. Um, that's gotten a chance to get that better TV window, if you will, is taken advantage of it. Now, the thing about BYU is they have done a phenomenal job scheduling. Now, obviously, they didn't get, you know, there was unable because the fact that the, the big conferences weren't really doing conference games. They did the best they could do, and I think they did a phenomenal job. And so they played Boise last week, which is uh, probably going to be their toughest game, and they did what they needed to do. So, again, they're in a great position, too, Um but for them, again, to get to the group, to get to the uh, the playoff, uh, being one of the top four, uh, probably unlikely, but a great season nonetheless for BYU. All right, let's kind of spin around the state of Florida a little bit. And as you mentioned, the you know, the Gators jumped Cincinnati to to move up uh, to number number five in the coaches' poll, number six uh, in the AP top twenty-five. So the Gators coming off obviously a big win over over Georgia in the Gator Bowl. Uh, you know. Let's talk about uh, Kyle Trask and, and this uh, team that Dan Mullen has, uh, has got cooking right now. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Kyle Trask, that offense goes through Kyle Trask and, and Kyle Pitts. Hopefully he'll be okay. Took the big hit in the game, but that's an offense that can put up a lot of points. Defense has been their bugaboo, no doubt about that. Um, but I, I think they're getting better at defenses, and they showed me a lot. Um, I did a late I did a late game last week, so I was able to watch most of that game before I uh, I, I called my the Coastal Carolina game later. Um, being down fourteen nothing, I think if you're a, a Gators fan, you're like, oh boy, this is going to be ugly and it's going to be ugly quick. But they stayed the course, they got back in it, and and their defense I think is getting more opportunistic, which is what you need to be. I mean, if you don't have a dominant defense. What you have to do is you have to be opportunistic. So, you know, you might kind of trade touchdown for touchdown for touchdown. You see a lot of that where 
you look at the scoreboard and it's 35-35, but if you can steal a possession, you get a takeaway, uh, you get a, you get a stop, you know, and, and get a punt, you steal a couple of possessions, and then your offense is that good enough then to get you out by a touchdown or two touchdowns, I think you could do it that way as well. And to me right now, that's, I think, what Florida has to do defensively. Yeah, and uh, yeah, most definitely, you know, they at least have the the ability to outscore people, that's for sure. So down south in Miami, you know, Houston transfer Derek King certainly looks like the uh, shot in the arm that program needed as they are uh, ranked in the top 10. Yeah, so I think Derek King's first start as a freshman when he was at Houston, I'll never forget it was that it was at USF, and he brought them from behind and won that game uh, in the fourth quarter and just a dynamic athlete. Um, and, and the other, the, ma- the, the perfect match is Rhett Lashley, the offensive coordinator, who's uh, well-traveled, but he's, he's got that really good uh, kind of, it's kind of a hybrid between like an air raid system and the spread and just kind of can do it all. And uh, Derek King is the perfect fit for that offense. And let's face it, Miami always, you know, gets athletes. These schools in Florida always have good athletes, good skill players. It's just getting them in the right positions, getting the right system for them, and it looks like Miami, um, it's kind of funny, you know, I think they're kind of a quiet 6-1, and one, not back in the top 10 now, just kind of doing what they need to do, but yeah, Derek King was definitely the shot in the arm that program needed. And at Florida State, uh, you know, they are certainly trying to get things uh in the right direction, you know, Mike Norvell, you know, unfortunately he was given the keys to the t- Titanic <laughs> in some, in some respects as the program had really uh, gotten into a difficult situation. Um, but they did get the, you know, the big upset win over North Carolina. Can you talk about uh, the job that Mike Norvell is doing and, uh, and what that outlook is going to be for them? Yeah. I mean, I'm a big Mike Norvell fan. I tell all my friends that are Florida state alums, just stay the course. I, I probably did six or seven, Memphis games uh, when he was the head coach there, so I've gotten to talk to him a bunch. Um, he's the right guy. Listen, he takes over the job, so you have you know all the issues Florida State was having anyway, hence why you hire a new coach. And then all of a sudden um, he, he gets thrust in there, and then there's a big social justice or social injustice movement right going on. So he's kind of dealing with that with players that he doesn't know, and then you got a pandemic on top of it. So it's just like the perfect storm. Uh, for a coach to come in and just trying to deal with everything. And he's, you know, kind of navigating the waters. And you said they got a big one at North Carolina. Again, another program that's got athletes. They're not, they're going to go through their bumps. Uh, they're going to, they're going to have players get in the transfer portal. They're going to have players leave. And you always hear coaches talk about culture, changing the culture when they come in there. And that just means, all of that means is, is doing things the right way and doing things the way that coach wants to, showing up to meetings early doing the little things, film work, you know, whatever, whatever little uh, bugaboos that coach has, he wants his team to do it. And so that's what changing the culture means. And it always takes a couple of years to do that. But I do think he's the right guy. He's a very good recruiter as well. Um, so he'll, he'll get players in there once again. Again, it's Florida State. They'll get players in there. And he's one of those head coaches that's also the offensive mind. He calls the plays. So, uh, but, you know, to me, too, at Florida State, it starts at the quarterback position. So, they got to go out there and find themselves a really good quarterback. And they're out there. you just got to go find one and get it in there. And then it's all, I think it's all downhill from there. Yeah. And, of course, we talk about the local team. Of course, you're based here in Orlando. And 
the UCF Knights, uh, you know, unfortunately taking a couple of losses, which had everybody in in uh, in up in arms because <laughs> evidently Josh Heifel's not doing a good enough job. But uh, they did come off with an impressive win over Houston in their their last game, and they do have a Temple coming up and a big matchup with Cincinnati on the twenty first. And uh, I think UCF will definitely be the best offense that Cincinnati will face this season. Uh, talk about what your thoughts are on the Knights. Yeah, I mean, I think their offense is dynamic, and I, I, I really don't think they've missed a beat. Now, with COVID, they've had some players in, some players out, and that, that always hurts. But they can score points, and they have you know, one of the best tempos in the country. They can play with anyone offensively. It's it, Again, defense has been their issue. They, they the, the, As I was talking about being opportunistic before for Florida, UCS defenses have always been like that. And a little better, but they were really – really opportunistic and takeaways and just getting extra possessions. And then before you know it, a game that was 14-14 uh, in the second quarter, and it's 35-14 at halftime, and UCF runs away with it. They kind of lost that this year defensively, just giving up too many big plays. And I know like in the in the, uh, in the the Memphis game, you know, people want to kind of look at the kicker. Yeah, the kicker missed. It happens. They're college kickers, but – you got to blame the defense. I mean, you, you can't score 50 points in a game and lose. I mean, you just can't <laughs> do that. If you do that, that's on defense. So they're just not getting enough stops, not getting making enough plays. Um, and so something that they've got to try to figure out here down the stretch. But, I mean, you put your finger on it. Uh, it, it will be the best offense Cincinnati uh, plays. And, and don't think those kids aren't going to be – fired up and ready to go for that one. It's going to be, I believe, I think they already announced it. I think it's an ABC 330 game. So uh, they're going to be fired up to go. So that's going to be a, that's going to be a real interesting game. And, of course, you're going to be uh, covering uh, uh, Coastal Carolina again this week as uh, as your yep. game assignment. And, uh, you know, they're a great story to me is that, you know, they're, they're you know, ranked 15th. Uh, you know, what makes this team special? You know, it's funny. I've told people this, and people kind of say, well, you know, that that goes for every team. It really doesn't. This team has fun. I mean, the entire team, they just enjoy it. And I think what it is is, you know, they transitioned from FCS to FBS in 2017, and just they've done a nice job. They just kind of got beat up in the Sun Belt. Um, They were picked, which is just amazing to me. It just shows you about predictions and polls, and since we're in election season, um, they were picked dead last in the Sun Belt. They got 13 votes. University of Louisiana Monroe was actually ahead of them. They, they had 20 votes. They haven't won a game this year. And then you have Coastal, 7-0, um, and just playing some really, really good football. Um, they have a quarterback by the name of Grayson McCall. He's a redshirt freshman. Uh, he's got 16 touchdowns against one interception. He can run the ball. He's really athletic. Um, and, and I think really the, the COVID issue and it helped him in that when they kind of quarantined, he was able with his coaches through Zoom to watch a lot of different defenses of opponents. And I just think it clicked with him. And he really matured this year from his true freshman year. Um, and Coastal Carolina is one of the only teams in the nation that got their full spring practice. And they got 15 practices in. So I think that really helped them. So he makes that offense go. Um, they got some good running backs. And then their defense, they haven't given up a touchdown in 10 quarters. Um, they have a really good defensive front. So as far as the Sun Belt goes, right now, I mean, they're the odds-on favorite. Now, they play Troy 
this week. It's a it's a twelve Eastern, but an eleven o'clock game in Alabama. Um, and Jamie Chadwell said he's happy about that because you get there, they're not watching game day, they're not hearing stuff about them being quote unquote America's team. And you get out there, you, you play the game early, and you get home because this is the proverbial or quintessential trap game against Troy because they have Appalachian State next week. So you could have two undefeated teams in the Sun Belt do battle in, in a couple of weeks. And if App State takes care of business this week and just let me look in, they got they got others receiving votes. So there's a chance they get ranked. Um, so uh, a huge matchup in a couple of weeks, but you got to get through this one. But it's a fun team, Jeff. I just they really like playing football. Um, they enjoy each other, and it's just uh, it, it's it's fun to watch them. And, you know, the other thing that's, uh, that I find highly entertaining, too, is the Sun Belt has really, you know, turned into a great story this season. You know, they rattled uh, off some big wins against the Big 12 to start off the season. And, uh, you know, for the the teams that are in the G5, you know, people don't always immediately think of the Sun Belt being a great league, but I think they're on their way. Well, and so we talked about teams taking advantage uh, of the early season games without the Big Ten play in without the Pac-12, um, the Sun Belt probably took advantage of it more than anyone in the nation. They had great TV windows. Uh, the nation was able to see them, and you talked about it. Week one, they went 3-0 against the Big 12, um, including Coastal Carolina. And then the great thing about Coastal is they come back, they beat the other two teams that beat Big 12 teams that week in both uh, Louisiana and Arkansas State. So that conference, I mean, Keith Gill, the commissioner of that conference, has got to be the happiest commissioner in the country. So they've really taken advantage of it. Now, the other fascinating thing, right, and we'll bring it back kind of full circle. We've just talked about the American and Cincinnati and in UCF. So we know how high Cincinnati's ranked seven, but if you look down to AP, the next highest group of five team is Coastal. So if UCF can knock off 50, like we talked about in a couple weeks, I mean, it, it's conceivable if Coastal runs the – runs the uh, table here and wins the Sun Belt, they will be the highest-ranked group of five teams. They would get the New Year's Six Bowl game, which would be an incredible story uh, for them and their conference. So a lot of great, great story uh, storylines still out there in college football. And, of course, uh, you're one of the, uh, the few uh, broadcasters that is actually getting to go on site for, uh, for games, correct? Correct. So for ESPNU, although this week our game, uh, the Coastal game just got moved to ESPN2, the Troy Coastal game, and that's because of COVID cancellations. So the ESPNU games, um, we are, we're all going there. We have packagers there that ESPN hires. So I have been fortunate. I have been on site every game this year that I've done, and I love it. Um, I know there's a lot of my colleagues have at-home um, broadcast kits, and they're literally doing them from their home offices and so you might have, like, for instance, Jason Benetti lives in Chicago, and he's doing a game from Chicago, and Andre, where's his partner? He's in Houston. It's just, it's, it's a tough dynamic to do that. So I love being uh, on site, and every game I've done, um, there's been some fans, I think uh, probably 20%, Georgia Southern, Coastal. So there's been five to 6,000 fans, so it's been a good atmosphere. So, uh, yeah, I, I've been very lucky uh, in that way. Are the protocols different from week to week, uh, from site to site, or pretty much the same for you? Well, for us, it's the same. So I test every Monday. I get my results back on Tuesday, and I'm COVID negative, um, which is positive. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm good to go. I'm good to go. 
Um, and then, you know, we, we adhere to the same strict social distancing, everyone else does. We wear a mask, six feet, we separate in the booth. Um, we're not meeting with the coaches this year. Everything's kind of Zoom or phone calls. Um, so that part of it, as far as ESPN protocols, are all the same as we travel. Now, when you go to different states, like, for instance, Florida, so, I, you know, that's the other thing, too. I've pretty much stayed in the South. Um, and I think ESPN obviously is doing that for a reason because there's some states, if I, if I go to a state up north, being from Florida, they, they're going to say, well, I have to quarantine and so forth and so on. So ESPN has done a really good job kind of keeping us away from running any predicaments like that. So for me, for the most part, if I stay in the South, like I'm going to be in Alabama uh, this week. Not a problem. I've been in South Carolina, Florida, Georgia. Not a problem. So that part of it, pretty good. And really, I think all those states fan-wise, all about the same, all about 20% capacity in their stadiums. Oh, and I've been to Texas this year, too, so. Um, but, very, again, very similar. Yeah, and 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 I again being on site is such an advantage, and uh, uh, I could just imagine you know when your your colleagues that are sitting you know behind their their desk at home, you know just not being able to feel that live vibe is you know just that alone never never mind the technical part of it has to be kind kind, yeah. kind of tough to overcome. I agree. I mean that's the biggest thing. So you're just kind of in a sterile environment. Now you have a Zoom camera, a Zoom. Uh, set up so you can see your partner uh, as well, but you're right. Technically, you know, the timing can be off a little bit, and you're 100% right. I, I love college football. I tell people all the time, I don't, I don't have to call college football games. I want to call college football games, and I don't care if it's a Division three game in Minnesota, um, which I've done before, or, you know, an SEC game here in Florida. I just love college football, and you do. You feed off the big plays and just the chess match back and forth, you get into the game. And so, yeah, it's just really hard to do that uh, sitting at a, at a home office. So I, I feel blessed that our group, our core group of games, um, we've, we've got to travel each and every week. And, of course, you are a Hall of Famer from UMass, and I, so I have to ask you about uh, UMass. If, uh, if I recall correctly, they originally were not going to play this season. Is that right? They weren't. So, yeah, I was you know, in contact with a lot of them up there. And, you know, you felt for the players because they were not in a conference. They're an independent. So, you know, trying to do this thing alone, and we, we, you know, we know BYU's done it, but BYU's BYU. Army was able to do it. You know, Army's Army. And then Liberty did it. Now, Liberty's got a ton of money, and they're playing a heck of a season. Oh, oh by the way, UMass plays them in a few weeks. So it was really hard for them, but I, I love the fact that they fought through and got their kids. They played two games so far, and listen, they've been blown out. But like I told people, you are not going to get any better as a program not playing. And, and forget this, everyone said, oh, they should just play the, play in the spring, play one spring game. First of all, no one knows what COVID's going to be like in the spring. It may be worse. We, we don't know, right? So all those people that said, we should have canceled everything and played in the spring, no one knows. I think football, for, by and large, college football has been an enormous success. I know this week, uh, is not as good. A lot of SEC games, a lot of postponements. It's the contact tracing that's doing it. Teams are only having two or three positives, but it's the contact tracing. And, and so it is what it is. We have to live with those strict uh, regulations. Um, but by and large, I think college football has done a great job. UMass has played two games. They're probably going to play two more. So the kids are going to get four games in. And again, you're not going to get any better not playing. So they're going to be able to learn from that. So I applaud them for, for pushing ahead and, and getting that done. 
And, you know, there is no playbook for, you know, for 2020. I mean, there's so much unexpected and all sorts of things can change on a dime. You know, what do you think the biggest challenges for head coaches of these programs has been? 100% it's been roster management. I talked to every one of them because, Jeff, you have to – they're testing. So you may have a – let's say you got, you know, your, your defensive back group and you got your your core five defensive back in, in the secondary. And these are your real good. So you, you test them on Monday and everybody's good. And then you test them Wednesday and then you find out Thursday before you travel or you find out Friday morning that, oh, by the way – you lost one. Oh shoot! Now, oh, I've just lost three. So now, those players that now have to step up and play and contribute. It's like okay. So when I say roster management, you have to make sure during the week as a head coach, you are getting all those players meaningful reps because you don't know if they're going to have to step in and play 30, 40 snaps for you. Where in the old days, you were a backup, you were third, fourth string. You're going to do some scout team. You're not going to get meaningful reps. Well, now everyone has to get meaningful reps. So I think that's been the hardest thing for coaches, you know, roster management. And then the unknown, right? When all of a sudden Friday happens and they say, well, you lost X, Y, and Z, they're out, and you have to you have to deal with it. So really that's the unknown, uh, I think, has been the hardest thing for coaches this year. And uh, one last note before I let you go. Of course, uh, you just, uh, you know, many folks uh, may or may not know that uh, that your your day job was a, as a detective with the Orlando Police Department, and you just retired after just a shade over 20 years of service uh, with OPD. So first of all, uh, thank you for your service to the community, and uh, congratulations on your retirement from, from, from law enforcement. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, you know, it was, you know, it was always a dream of mine. Uh, to be a football player and be a cop. And so uh, I was fortunate enough to achieve both those goals. And uh, so it was a tough decision, uh, you know, obviously eligible for retirement once we get 20. You could stay longer. Um, and this year was just crazy all, you know, in, in many respects for many of us. And uh, at ESPN, as you probably know, like there was a lot of people that just weren't brought back. A lot of contracts were not renewed. You just saw 300 people. Uh, let go, and they're not going to throw another 200 jobs. So, you know, I was blessed and fortunate enough that my contract got renewed um, in late July, um, early August. So I kind of took that as a sign. My wife looked at me and said, uh, you've been contemplating retirement from law enforcement, so take that as a sign. Go ahead and retire. So she gave me the blessing. So, yeah, it, it was a great career, very rewarding Um I'm very glad I did it, and uh, I guess now, though, as I sit here, talk to you, I'm considered a quote-unquote full-time broadcaster. Yeah, I tell you what, though, you certainly had the, uh, you know, it, you didn't have the typical day job, <laughs> you know, to, to, to break away from to do college football games. Uh, you know, you, you had to also be blessed with, uh, with uh, good management uh, to allow you to do all that, too. Yeah, so funny story. So when I started doing it, um, I, I started on radio with my alma mater, the UMass Sports Network, in 09 to break in. And so at the time, I was a young detective, and I kind of didn't even tell anyone I was doing it. I just I worked Monday through Friday. I didn't take any days off. Um, and then there was a, I took the cheapest flight out. There was a Southwest Airlines flight um, that left Orlando, Florida at 8 o'clock every Friday night. It was in Manchester, New Hampshire. And then from there, I'd rent a car. I'd drive to UMass it's about an hour and a half. Sleeping, uh, a good buddy of mine was an associate AD there. 
sleeping in the basement, get up, do the game, drive back to the airport Sunday and do it all over again. Because at the time, UMass said, yeah, we'll, we want you on our broadcast crew, but we can't afford to fly you up from Florida. So I kind of did it myself. Um, I paid my own way. I said, don't worry, I want to break into the business. It's, a, it's an investment. So I kind of paid my own way. Didn't tell OPD I was doing it. And then obviously, you know, a few weeks in with the cat got out of the bag. But they were great with it. And then as I got hired by ESPN and kind of moved up the proverbial ladder, um, it got to the point where, you know, I would be able to work four tens. I work Monday through Thursday. I would take Fridays out. I'd fly out Thursday night. And just got it down to a science. It was still difficult in that I wasn't. I was a violent crimes detective. So I'm kind of juggling court. I'm juggling depositions. I'm juggling open investigations uh, that I'm still working. I'm juggling on call time with other detectives. So there was the last probably three or four years, five years. It, it was stressful. I was able to do it because, as you said before, good management and then good good teamwork by by other detectives that I worked with. So uh, luckily for me, I had great people that were able to chip in and help me out. But it did get stressful. So. That's kind of nice that that stress is kind of gone. Um, you know, I'm not looking, I'm not at OPD looking for like a storage closet to jump in to make a 45 minute phone call, you know, with a coach, you know, <laughs> trying to just figure out when I'm going to do that. So, uh, so that part of it's good that, that that's over. Well, again, congratulations on that. And of course, uh, you know, look forward to uh, watching your work at ESPN this weekend and future weekends to come. Uh, Randy Angolia, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jeff. And we will be back to close out the show with a TV theme right after this. No Republicans, no Democrats, no team from Washington, no team with a star on the side of their head. We don't even talk about alpha and beta storms around here. And if you believe all of that, I have a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. Captain and Company in the morning, join me 9 to noon. Weekday mornings on OldSchool101.com because class is always in session around here. Virus or no virus. The unmistakable theme from the iconic game show Jeopardy. We lost the great Alex Trebek this past weekend at the age of 80 due to cancer. And Alex Trebek worked like two weeks ago. So his last show was done two weeks ago. Jeopardy will air through Christmas with Alex Trebek hosting. And you think about doing that gig for, what, 36 years, since 1984? Your Jeopardy was an NBC game show back in the late 60s to mid-70s with Art Fleming. Alex Trebek had had several game shows, like High Rollers Comes to Mind, and a handful of others, and he got the chance to do Jeopardy in syndication, which was paired with Wheel of Fortune, which is a juggernaut game show combination in syndication that uh, local stations just thrive with the advertising from that. 
But Alex Trebek, you know, looks like everybody's best best bud. Just very classy. And you could tell he cared about Jeopardy and 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 wanted it to be great. Heard an interesting uh, uh, tidbit with uh, with him uh, on Dan Patrick this week. Dan replayed an interview from 2014 that he did with Alex before he started doing the uh, the Sports Jeopardy. And Alex Trebek gave him a crayon. So evidently, on his uh, sheet in front of him during the show, he would mark off clues off the board. And I guess using a Sharpie made too much noise. So he resorted to a crayon. Pretty interesting stuff there. So rest in peace, Alex Trebek. And with that, we are done here.